Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. to the business of the business podcast i am your co-host jp john pause from the two-man power trip of wrestling and of course joining me is my co-host mr trump mania himself lobby margolin lobby how are you doing today sir i'm doing great you know it's uh, a big news week as as usual but i'm uh, i'm so thrilled today we have a very special guest and actually someone i'm a big fan of their work for many years really uh somebody that's keeping the history of a very uh, difficult business to to keep the history of um so glad to welcome scott teal of crowbar press today thank you glad to be here Thank you for coming on, Scott. You're uh, kind of a legend unto yourself. I mean, you've written so many books and you've been able to get in touch with so many kind of great guys that stay hidden from other people. You know what I mean? You've been able to get some rare guys to do some great books. So kind of just really the first thing is, what's the background? Like, where did you kind of grow up? When did you first discover professional wrestling? I discovered wrestling in Florida in 1968. Uh, Just makes a long story short, I was at a girlfriend's house. We were eating dinner and... Everybody got up from the table uh, at one minute to one o'clock and just left the room. And I'm sitting there with this girl and I said, well, what's going on? And she said, we're going to watch wrestling. And I had never seen it in my life. And uh, I was, I watched the program with them and I was hooked. I mean, from day one, it it was great. And from there I started to take, after a couple of years, I took uh, pictures at the matches. I'd go to the matches in Tampa, Florida, Bradenton, Florida, Sarasota, took pictures and sent, started sending articles to magazines, developed my own little newsletter to send around the country. And it was all based uh, on uh, what was going on in Florida. And from there, I moved to Tennessee, went uh, to go to college and uh, ended up working for Nick Goulas, the promoter here in Nashville. And that was a real break. So when you decided to actually get into the wrestling business, was it something you're like, okay, this is going to be my life's work or I'm going to make money here? Or is this just like a passion, kind of more of a fun thing when you decided to break it? No, it, it was a pa- just a passion. I, I knew all along it wouldn't be so. I, I mean, I did really well, uh, you know, because I, I Nick gave me the, the arena programs. He let me publish the arena programs. He didn't ask for a dime uh, as percentage or anything. I sold the arena programs and kept everything I made. But I knew it wasn't going to be something that was going to be long term where I could uh, make it, you know, make a great living at. Uh, so so I did I, I did stay with Nick uh, after college for a couple of years and for three years. And uh, when he uh, sold his business, then I then I stepped out. And when I did, I said, that's it for me in wrestling. I, I won't probably won't have anything to do with wrestling again. Little did I know, you know, about uh, 13 years later, I'd be publishing a newsletter called Whatever Happened To. 
which is that exact is exactly what you were just talking about. I found a lot of the uh, legends where they were because nobody knew where a lot of these guys had gone, you know, after they got out of the business in the mid eighties. And I knew where a lot of them were and I started doing interviews with them. And uh, uh, that's really how my, all the books got started. I did that for about, whew, I guess about 10 years. And then I wrote my first book with Ole Anderson. Yeah, that's pretty uh, pretty impressive to get Ole because uh, I've had the pleasure, maybe even displeasure, of talking to him, and he did not want to talk back. You know, he could be he could be tough. There's no doubt about it. I mean, Ole, man, he he's uh, and what they say, you know, the rep his rep um, not reputation, but I get kind of I guess his reputation was that he's a little bit ornery. Oh yeah, absolutely. I got along with him. You know, it's funny. Some guys he doesn't just doesn't like some people, and uh, he seemed to like me. And I think part of it was. You know, he, he, he has this way of insulting people and I would give it right. I've always been one. I'm, I was always good with one liners and shooting right back at somebody. I, t- I always said, I take my shots when I can get them and I'd shoot right back at him and he'd, he'd laugh. He, he, he loved it. You know, he liked it when somebody would come back at him. He's funny too. Cause I remember I called him and basically it got kind of cursed off and then his wife got on. I was like, I'm sorry about that. He's a little cranky, <laughs> but I was like, ah, it's kind of like a badge of honor. If you get cursed off by Oli, right? <laughs> uh, that's exactly right. Because I remember when I first met Oli, uh, it was at the Gulf coast wrestlers reunion in Mobile, Alabama. And we were all in, in man, we used to fill up this one hotel. We filled up every room in the hotel and we'd have 10, 15 guys in every single room sitting in there telling stories and, I mean, what a great time that was. I really miss those days. But anyway, the one year, the first year I met Ole, uh, he was he was in the room and we're all talking. And uh, I said something and, man, he cursed me and called me all these names, how stupid I was for believing what I said. And uh, and I just I just remember turning and looking at Bill Bowman, who uh, one of the other wrestlers. I looked at him. I said, Bill, I finally arrived in the wrestling business. I was cursed out by Ole Anderson. And exactly what you said, it's like a badge of honor, you know, to, to, to be able to tell people that Ole Anderson, you know, cursed you out. Yep. And, and it wasn't shortly after, uh, too long after that, that uh, we left one of those rooms and we were walking. Ole, I said, I'll see you tomorrow. And Ole says, all right, we'll talk to you tomorrow. And he, and he turned around, stopped in the middle of the parking lot. And he says, you know, we ought to write a book. And I said, well, sure. I mean, I just shrugged it off. I really didn't think he was serious. And, uh, because, I mean, Ole, I used to say, of all the people in the wrestling business, who would you think least likely to actually open up and expose the business and talk openly about the business? It'd be Ole Anderson. I mean, he'd be the last guy I ever would have gone up to and said, hey, would you do an expose of the business? Because he probably would have killed me back in the 70s. But uh, that night he said that, and I just, like I said, I shrugged it off. And it was, I'd say, five, six months later, he called and he says, when are we going to start that book? And I said, are you serious? And he says, yeah. And he says, I'd love to do it. And that's how it got started. Now, Lavi, I know you have a ton of questions for Scott. Yeah. So actually uh, it reminds me, and I, I think this is your t-shirt, right? Scott with uh, says the many faces of old Anderson. And it's like, he's angry in, in all the, the nine pictures. The many emotions of old Anderson. Yes. yes. <laughs> Every single um, emotion, sad, happy, whatever he's like (laughs) (laughs) so as somebody who's the has an interest also in publishing um you know those are a a lot of the questions that i have today sort of of getting started even today um you know you have more people that are sort of uh, co-authors and and they're they're doing it themselves but a lot of it is i believe still like print on demand they'll upload a book to ingram or amazon and then however many sells you know amazon will print it and then shoot it to the person that buys it i'm assuming that that since the very beginning you've been doing sort of print runs where you might estimate, okay, I think we might be able to sell X copy. So sort of the first time you did that, how did you sort of like take that leap of faith and decide how many to make? And then sort of how has that grown and evolved as you plan your your printing process? Right. Uh, grown, grown. how has that grown is the wrong way to phrase it, is how has, have they gotten less? <laughs> With Ole, I ordered a thousand books because really nobody had done a book at that point. It wasn't like today where everybody and their brother, you know, is writing their book. 
uh, with Oli, I knew we were going to sell quite a few. So I ordered a thousand and I don't think it was six months. Maybe we sold all thousand of them. I ordered another thousand. JJ Dillon, we ordered a thousand and we've had many, many print runs since then. JJ's book has just really been phenomenal. And part of that is due to JJ. Uh, he goes out to these fan conventions and he doesn't charge for autographs to sign his book. You buy his book and he'll sign it. He even personalizes it. So he's uh, been responsible for selling a lot. Uh, over time, uh, I I kept it at 500 to 1,000 for a long time, but now uh, most books I'll order 200, 250, 300 books, and that's it. I, I can get them so fast now that uh, I can order them, and when I get down to about you know a certain number of copies, all I have to do is email the printer. And uh, for instance, recently I ran out of the Madison Square, uh, <coughs> excuse me, Madison Square Garden book. So I uh, emailed the printer and I had another hundred copies in my hand. Uh, I don't think it was even two weeks later. So, so I, I don't put, and the other reason is I got 56 books uh, to order a thousand of every one of my books. You're talking about major, major storage. I've already got one whole wall of my basement just with uh, heavy duty shelves just filled with books. So, uh, so I just order generally now, uh, like uh, the program, the classic arena programs, great wrestling venues, I'll order 100 to 150. And uh, then when I get down to 10, 15 or so, I'll, I'll you know, place another order. But I definitely don't order 1,000. The last one I ordered 1,000 was Don Fargo's The Hard Way. Don assured me he knew everybody in Pensacola and he could sell 1,000 copies himself. So I said, well, great. You know, so I ordered a thousand copies and sure enough, uh, after I sent him a whole couple caseloads and he, he sold, I'd say probably 15, 20 of them. And he says, all these people I know, he says they don't have $20. And that's, that's true. If you know Don, Don, you know, he didn't hang around with the, you want know, with the elite people have money. You know, he hung around the bikers and the guys that, you know, were struggling to make a living. So he couldn't sell. It just wasn't that easy to sell books. So as a result, you know, I've still got, I probably got another 300 books at least uh, of Dawn's. So I, I got chills actually when you mentioned the Madison Square Garden book because, um, and I have many of the autobiographies that you've made, but that that one is really um, one of my favorites. I, I might've even sent you a note at the time, but I had one Madison Square Garden history book and as soon as I got yours, I took mine down to recycling. I was like, I don't need this one anymore. Uh, yours is is the really quality one. And I actually, um, I went to the Ring of Honor New Japan show, right? The first show that wasn't uh, McMahon run. And I was taking selfies with the book just because it was such a historic moment. So, so thank awesome. you. Thank you for that. Um, and especially uh, the Fargo example is great as well because it really shows how engaging the books are. Like I had only, um, and of course um, I had heard you on, on Brian last 605 podcast. Um, but, and, and I learned more about Fargo actually from that program, but that was an example of a talent I had no familiarity with, but just knowing crowbar press and the quality, I was like, okay, you know, and, and I really, I really enjoyed the book. So Thank actually um, not necessarily Fargo specifically, but broadly across wrestling, um, you know, I get the sense that you're sort of a very grounded person, um, a person of faith and, and so on. And a lot of the stories that people tell uh, might be very different um, perspectives or, um, you know, things than, than your own. So sort of like, how do you balance that as an author? Sort of like, uh, I don't know if there's a way of, of filtering the message or just conveying the message in the way that the wrestler would like to, even if it's not your values or ideals. Right. I, generally, I, um, let's take the uh, Wrestling Archive Project books, which was really a spinoff of my Whatever Happened to magazines from, from years ago. Uh, when I do interviews with the guys, they're pretty much printed the way they speak. Uh, I move things around so things flow chronologically, and I do edit somewhat, change some words. You don't want, you know, some of these guys, you don't want them to sound like they're really uneducated, you know, so I will change, change some, some words around. But uh, in the case of, say, profanity, uh, for a long time, I used to use, say, SH, star, stars, because I didn't, I didn't print the words. And somebody told me, he says, you know, people know what it says. And when they read, they see the stars, they know what it says. So now I go ahead and print it as it is. I don't 
uh, generally leave in a lot of the profanity if as far as if somebody's just tell, talking about something and then they the D this, they ask that or whatever. I don't leave that in. I take it out. It's not necessary. However, if they're using a quote from somebody, say somebody was talking about a promoter and he says that blank, blank promoter, a lot of times I'll leave that in because that's exactly what the person said. Uh, to me, there's a difference between uh, just using profanity for just to use it and then using profanity where it sort of embellishes the story being told and it's, it's being used for a purpose. But, uh, but as far as that goes, you know, there's, uh, you're, you've read the Don Fargo book and you know, some of the stories in there, you know, that's th some things I would never do, but uh, he led such a colorful life. And, and I felt like, you know, those stories needed to be told. Yeah. I hope that, that's a good explanation of what you were asking. Yes. Thank you. And the Tony Atlas one definitely stands out to me as well. I wasn't aware of his um, interests in terms of lifestyle before that. And then sort of, I, after reading the book, I caught on, you know, later on as, as people would make jokes or whatever it may be. So that was a surprise to me. Right. Um, with, um, <laughs> with, uh, each, um, with each wrestler or, or person being interviewed, is it, um, obviously without revealing numbers, is it sort of like a, um, a split after cost or, or do you negotiate with each person differently? Uh, they're all the same. Uh, when I write an autobiography, uh, I do pretty much uh, most of the work. I mean, there's been a few Stan Hansen and a few others who actually sent me a, man, a full manuscript. Of course, Stan sent me 168 pages. And when I finished uh, putting questions in between paragraphs and sentences, stuff that I felt people would want to know, we ended up with a 400 page book. So as far as a deal goes, most publishers pay 8%. I do a 50, 50 deal with the guys that's after uh, printing costs, and that's after PayPal fees, uh, but everything else we split evenly. I, I've never been in this for the money. It's not a, uh, if I was a publisher full-time and I, I relied on it for a living, uh, yeah, I'd probably do the 8% like the other publishers, but uh, I, I've had no need to do that. I had a good job with UPS for 37 years. I've got a great pension now, so it's not, like, none of this is for the money. In fact, I mean, if you look at the titles, uh, the authors of some of the books, uh, nobody knows who some of them are, you know, and we've saw some, uh, there's one title. I haven't even sold 60 copies, but the reason I, I decided to publish it wasn't because I thought I could make a lot, a lot of money, which none of my books is that's, that hasn't been the reason for any of the books I write. I write the books that I feel are interesting and will add to the historical narrative so that we can save these stories for the future. The one I was talking about sold less than 50, 60 copies. Yeah. He was pretty much a nobody. And he admits that, but his stories to me, it just captivated me. I just thought it was so interesting that this guy would spend all those years driving up and down the highway to these tiny little towns, wrestling in these small gyms, small, you know, small schools, uh, in little armories for in independent shows, not even any major promotion that he would do that for all those years, but it's because he loved it so much. No, I, I think some of those are the most fun books that you've written, and, and some of them really introduced me to people. Like, uh, I believe Mark Fleming is mm -hmm. is the name. So I didn't, I had no idea he was uh, a protege of Fez. And, you know, I started going on YouTube and then looking up uh, the matches with Vince Torelli, of course, uh, Ken Shamrock. And I love that match. <laughs> I was sharing it on, on social media. So it really opened uh, things up for me. From what I understand in, in talking to um, uh, another uh, biographer, that for the talent, um, the book is it could be valuable as they go on the um, the convention circuit. So you have an additional merchandise to sell and, and to autograph uh, in that way. And that, that tends to move um, uh, a lot of books. Yeah, I, I don't know. That's not... I haven't found that to be true. You know, JJ's done well, but on a convention, you know, he might sell 10 to 20 books. You know, of course he does a lot of them too. So uh, myself, uh, we were just in Charlotte at the gathering uh, a couple of weeks ago. And, uh, you know, I took all 56 books. So I had them all available and I sold quite a few books, but it's because I had 56 different, I had quite a few. Is that 
Heinz, oh, it's 57. <laughs> I need one more book. <laughs> I'm sure that'll be no problem. <laughs> it won't be. <laughs> That's hilarious. I just never thought of that. <laughs> but then then we can't stop you at 57. So what can we do? Right? Oh, yeah. I got, trust me, I got plenty on my plate. <laughs> but yeah, but yes, they do sell more when they do go to conventions and that does help. But uh, you don't sell all that many. And I t uh, that sort of brings up a point. Whenever somebody calls me or writes me and says, I'd like to write uh, you to help me write my autobiography, I always tell them the very first thing I say is, well, let me ask you this. Are you looking to make a lot of money? Is that the reason you want to write a book so you can make money? Most of the time they'll say, no, not really, but yeah, I'd like to make some money. And I tell them, I say, well, if you're looking, right, want to write a book to make money, don't even start because that's, you won't make much. It's not even worth your time, the time that I'll put into it for that matter. On the, on the other hand, if you want a book that will save your legacy, your story, your history, all those things you did throughout your lifetime for your children, for your grandchildren, for your great-grandchildren, then by all means, let's go for it. But, but don't do it if you have any intention of making money, because there's really very little there. I mean, for, for the most part, anyway. Sure. And, um, Without being, you know, too nosy, and I know that you've discussed the um, the Rocky Johnson situation before, um, but just in terms of the 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 process and in, in interaction with ECW Press, which sort of would have been a, a bit of a transition for how you normally publish, why did that seem appealing at the time? Sort of what came out of it, and would you consider something like that again? Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh that, that was absolutely the first book I ever had somebody else publish. All the books I've done so far, I've published myself. And I, it was sort of exciting because when I first started writing books, uh, one of my dreams was going into a bookstore and seeing one of my books on the bookshelf. Well, after all, when I found out what a publisher had to do to get them into bookstores, I decided I'd rather do it myself. And that's why all my books I sell through my website. I don't have, uh, you know, another publisher. I am the publisher. Uh, so my books haven't been actually been in bookstores. They're on Amazon, but not not in physical stores. So when I had the opportunity to write Rocky's book, I, I was excited about it because it would be the first time that I could actually walk into a Barnes and Noble and see my book standing there on the bookshelf. And of course, as soon as it came out, that's one of the first things my wife and I did. We went to the local Barnes and Noble and had my picture stand there by the shelf with the, you know, seeing the book on the shelf. Scott, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, okay. I froze for a second. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Um, no. Um, so um, with Amazon, I've noticed sort of, um, with the ebooks, sometimes they're there right away. Sometimes you pull them. Um, sort of like I know it's it's sort of like there's good things about Amazon. Certainly, there's a lot of challenges. Sort of like how do you feel uh, with ebooks on Amazon? Sort of like what are the pluses and minuses of that? I, I'm good with ebooks. E I, I can't put my uh, well, the Madison Square Garden book is in there, but the difference is Amazon charges for every bite whatever, megabyte or whatever it is uh, that goes out. When they send a book out, if it's 10 megabytes for that book, then I'm charged for that, for that, wh whatever they call bandwidth or whatever. Uh, if it's two megabytes, I'm charged with however much they feel it costs to send that out. If I put all the pictures from the Madison Square Garden book, which is more than, I think it's more than 200 pictures. All my books have more than 200 pictures in the photos or images of some kind, ads, you know, art articles. Uh, I can't do that with the uh, e-books, with the Kindle books, because I, I get charged for every and every picture you have in there in, in those books is, you know, is a certain size. So I get charged for every bit of that. So the difference between the Kindle book and the hard copies that I actually sell from my website is the hard copies uh, have 200 and some great images, all of which help tell, tell the story. You know, when you're reading a story about uh, Stan Hansen, and you can see Stan Hansen's picture there or reading a story about Jack Briscoe and there's Jack Briscoe's picture. It gives you a much better feeling for, for what the story is saying, because you can actually see the person, in, in, you know, that, that I'm talking about or writing about. So uh, I, don't, I like having books on Kindle, but 
I encourage people to write, uh, write, you know, to re- to buy the uh, actual hard copy books because they get so much more from it. No, and I, I Stan Hansen's book is definitely one that I have prominently on my bookshelf. I've read it <laughs> uh, a few times. I have to catch up on the. Um, um, what's the historical book? Um, the Barnums of Bounce. Uh, oh yeah, Fall Guys. The Fall Guys. I have the. I I bought the original at a premium, but I want the annotated one, and uh, right. definitely have an insightful it, um, reading. It's quite. Copy. It's quite a different book because we really ripped Marcus Griffin to pieces. Steve Yoey and I did a lot of research, and he told Marcus Griffin told so many lies in that book, and. Uh, made up so many stories and we actually went and found out the truth. And so in between all those paragraphs, we put, you know, put our little notes about this wasn't true because this is actually what happened. And in many cases I'll have, uh, uh, you know, like an article in there that actually talks about that incident that Marcus Griffin lied about. So, and that tells the truth and it backs up what we say, but that was one of the most fun books I think I've worked on because it was really intriguing to go behind another author, you know, an author who wrote that in 1936 and, uh, and, and look up, see what, what it was he said and whether it was true or not. And uh, it, it, we just had a lot of fun with it. Fascinating. So um, has J.J. Uh, Dillon's book been the bestseller, uh, quote unquote, uh, to date, or um, are there others? No, that definitely, J.J.'s book is definitely the top seller. And Again, it's because he spends so much time pushing it, you know, going to conventions and uh, other uh, the other top ones would be Ole Anderson's book, uh, the Madison Square Garden book. Fall Guys has done really well. It's one I'm really glad I picked up on. Buddy Rogers is probably the best seller for many, many years that I've had. It hasn't, you know, come near what JJ's has done, but JJ's has been out for what, I guess, 15, 16 years now. Uh, whereas Buddy Rogers, it hasn't even been a full year. So, and that was a pleasure there working with Tim Hornbaker on that book. Uh, he's probably, I did less work on that book. I mean, I went through and proofread it, but I did less work on that book as far as editing goes than any other book I've worked on. Uh, he, Tim is just meticulous about what he does in his research. And there were things that we did discuss and, uh, uh, tweak a little bit, but but it was very very few compared to you know most of the books that I do. Yeah, I, I forgot that that you had contributed to that one as well. I have that one, and I think that's just a testament to your work. As somebody like Tim has published in a variety of different formats and different publishers, that you know when he wants the most historical work, the the truest work, that he would come to you. John, did you have some final questions? I know it's hard to say because it's like, what's who's your favorite kid? But do you have a favorite book or maybe some favorite stories, a part of some of your favorite books? Um, my favorite book, normally I just say, no, I can't because these guys are my friends. And I don't want to, you know, put one over the other and say, I like this book more than somebody else's. But I will say, as of right now, my favorite book is Frankie Kane's book, uh, Raising Kane from Jimmy Alt to uh, Kid McCoy which is the first volume of the Frankie Kane uh, saga. <laughs> you call it a saga because it's, it's long, you know, so we're going to have a second volume uh, later, late, probably early next year. But I love Frankie's book because it's not just about re- pro wrestling. Uh, it's about a kid who grew up as an orphan, pretty much an orphan on the streets of uh, Columbus, Ohio, and the things he had to do just to, 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 to live, just to eat, uh, how he had to steal things and pull little swerves on shop owners or, and living with the gypsies, he lived with gypsies on the street there. And the, all the things they taught him about living on the street and uh, being able to, you know, make, get by, you know, and not starve to death. And then he, he got into helping the prostitutes on the street of Columbus, Ohio. They didn't have pimps on the streets back then. Most of the, ha- uh, the, the prostitutes were in houses. So Jimmy uh, acted as their protector. When people come out and rough one of the girls up, he'd be there to, uh, you know, to take care of those guys. And it gets into how he got into pro wrestling, how he met Al Half, the promoter in Ohio, met all the wrestlers there and became a wrestler himself. He became a boxer. He fought in the smoke in the smokers, which is like not, you know, uh, bars. Uh, it, it's a fascinating story and has so much more to it than just pro wrestling. It, it's, it's a story of a young guy's life who just, you know, trying to make it in the world. 
Anybody that you wanted to write a book for that just didn't happen? I don't think so. Uh, I'll probably, uh, maybe Nick Bockwinkle. Uh, that's a guy should have had a book, you know, had a book with his name on it. Uh, I, yeah, there's a there's a lot of guys that I, I guess if I really thought about it, I could come up with names. Well, yeah, Jack Pfeffer. I'd love to talk to Jack Pfeffer. <laughs> you know, man, what stories that guy would have. You know, and Frank Hickey would be another one. Uh, those those are two guys. I guess if I could talk to anybody, those would be two two the two on the top of the list. I, I imagine. What's next? Who's in the works? So you got anybody else? Uh, you know, down the pipeline. Yeah, right now I'm working. In fact, when you called, I was working on uh, Burt Prentice's book. It's called Tonight, Tonight, Tonight. And uh, I'd like to ask everybody to keep Burt in, your, in their prayers. He's undergoing cancer therapy again. He's doing uh, the chemo. And I talked to him yesterday. He's not doing well. He's in the hospital and uh, he sounded, I have never heard him sound so weak. Uh, his, uh, right now, his sister Marilyn is taking, oh, taking over his wrestling business. Burt's one of actually the last full-time promoter uh, that I know of in the United States. He promotes eight to 12 shows a week. I mean, a month. And uh, he does, he's just an incredible person. His story is fascinating. So that's next. After that will be Joel Goodhart's book on uh, his promotion up in Philadelphia. I've got the second uh, volumes of both the Amarillo and the Knoxville uh, histories. Uh, I'll have one, maybe two more uh, editions of the uh, Great Re uh, Wrestling Archive Project this year. And that's something, uh, Lavi, you said earlier that I'd just like to real quickly say. I never look at guys when I go to write a book. I never look at a guy and say, I want to write a book about this guy because he's a main eventer or because he's so well known. I look for the guys with the great stories. And and, and even the, uh, the underneath guys, the guys that all they did was lose, you know, in the opening matches. I've done so many of those. And those actually are my favorite interviews most of the time because those were the guys in the trenches who really struggled to make a living in, in the wrestling business. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, I don't know if you've met Barry Horowitz, but I'm his biggest fan. So if that opportunity ever comes up, I'll be the first one to, to get a copy. I talked with Barry at, after FanFest in Tampa a couple years ago, and I talked about interviewing him, if nothing else, but as a good long interview for my wrestling archive project. But that that's a possibility. He was very, very interested. And we called back and forth a couple of times, but never, never, never really got to a point where we said, hey, let's do it. You know, I, I've got so many books on my plate right now. Uh, you mentioned like Buddy Rogers. I've got a, the Buddy Rogers record we're going to be publishing, the Luthez record. Uh, right. I, I've got at least 15 books in the works. So and. There's a lot more after that than I can think of if I had the time. I need 48 hours a day is what I need. <laughs> now, Scott, where can everybody get the books one more time? And, and if you got any social media, where can everybody find you? Go to crowbarpress.com and everything's right there on the main page, uh, crowbarpress.com. I am also also have a Facebook group called um, Crowbar <laughs> the Crowbar Press Archives. If you type that in or send me an email or uh Facebook message, I can get you hooked up into there. I haven't been doing a whole lot on the archives on Facebook lately, but for a long time there, I was posting one, two, three old, old articles a day of uh, things having to do with pro wrestling. Not the results, not who beat who, but all the stuff that happened behind the scenes, wrestlers being arrested, uh, getting into trouble, uh, you, you name it. Just things have the fans attacking the wrestlers, rioting in the arenas. Uh, really cool articles like that. And I, I will be getting back to doing that. So, but that's Crowbar Press Archives on Facebook. 
All right. Awesome stuff. Scott, thank you so much for all the time today. We uh, really appreciate it. Well, thank you. I've enjoyed this. I always enjoy having an opportunity to talk about pro wrestling. Thank you all very Thanks much. Thanks so much. Thank sure. you, Scott. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Now, Lavi, let's get to the news. What's going on with the post-pandemic non-WWE domestic ticket sales? Yeah, so um, something uh, pretty newsworthy breaking um, while we're recording today. It's still to be sorted out a little bit, but the mayor of New York City, Mayor Bill de Blasio, um, had made an announcement that um, indoor um, things like dining and uh, gyms and um, some indoor entertainment, I'm not sure exactly how it relates to like big scale events um, that they're going to be requiring proof of vaccination soon. So I know that there had been that talk that, oh, you know, WWE um, struggled uh, for SmackDown in Madison Square Garden uh, because AEW could, uh, people could just buy tickets and go to Arthur Ashe Stadium. So from what I would speculate that certainly by that time that uh, things will require vaccination. Not sure how that'll work out for people that are younger than 12 and so on if you would just wear a mask. But I think people that are planning to go to that show should consider getting vaccinated. I have my public service announcement. But also just to think about you know how this might affect uh, future shows as well. Crazy that we're gonna go backwards again, which stinks. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm watching all the news. I'm not sure if I really want to or if that helps me, but that's where I am right now. But in terms of other events, so you know, I think the WWE when they first announced their return, they had said 21 shows. A few got canceled, but this is a comparison point for the future. Although I don't watch the WWE numbers as well, those will be easier to find, but. For the first 21 shows for AEW, that, uh, so that's between the first show in Miami since the return 7-7 through November 6th, so advanced sales for full gear in St. Louis, AEW has sold or distributed about 122,275 tickets and averaged 5,823 per show. This is mostly a credit to WrestleTix and also some Wrestling Observer. AEW, still the hottest ticket in town. How is WB? I know we don't really talk too much, but is WB selling okay? Are they doing good? It seems like they've had a lot of big houses. Yeah, I think they're, you know, we'll get, certainly those numbers will come out in the quarterly reports. Um, Brandon at WrestleNomics will have those, um, and those will be well reported. But from what I'm seeing, especially for the SmackDown and Raw, it seems like they're really popping. I think it is a pent-up demand, but also WrestleTix had been tracking it when Cena was announced, and you could see with with the biggest star over the last uh, 20, uh, 23 years, thereabouts, um, that he has really uh, popped the houses. So, yeah, there's a few that, um, you know, in advance and so on are sub 4,000, but for the most part, I think they're doing really well, and when they put out a press release about it, you know, they'll be able to tout, um, you know, near sellout or maybe 85, 90% uh, capacity. You know, sometimes that's a little bit of a trick because if you have a 20,000 seat building, you can hold the capacity to whatever you want and then consider it a sellout. So you could play around with those numbers a little bit, but um, but I think they're doing um, really well. Um, also, I'm thinking about the first events in the US that um, will surpass 2,000 seats. Uh, that are not WWE or AEW. Certainly New Japan USA at the Torch at LA Coliseum has already reached that. They're over 2,000 seats. They're close to a sellout for a, a smaller, unique venue. Um, there's still a question about an event that uh, took place last week, which is the Hecho and Me Mexico. I might uh, apologize if I'm mispronouncing the first part of that, but uh, with Andrade and um, Patron and, and so on. So from counting the map, WrestleTix had like over 3,000 seats sort of taken off the board, but, you know, they're not sure exactly about that themselves. So when you look at video of it, it looks like there are a lot of empty seats, but it's also a gigantic place. So I don't know yet if they moved 
2,000 seats, but but that's a, a possibility. Um, some of the other stories that emerge. So just, you know, this is a very small sample, but it's an interesting one. If you compare how NWA is doing in St. Louis compared to Ring of Honor's sales to date um, in advance and for Baltimore. So you have to, A, you have to trust the Baltimore show was the WrestleTix number, which was about 419 rather than the Observer number, which was 1100. If you oh combine God. that show and the 2300 Arena shows and Lakeland, they've moved about 991 tickets, whereas the NWA has moved 1950. So, you know, the NWA is in the, of course, the classic ballroom in uh, in St. Louis, the Chase, um, the Corrosion Room, or I'm totally butchering that. Um, so it's a very small sample size, but it's an interesting thing to, to consider. And um, just sort of like a, a little bit of a, in the weeds, but we're watching closely. So the Observer reported that for the foreign WA shows, the All Women's Empower show was the weakest sales thus far. So I put out a tweet correcting that, um, uh, that they've actually sold the second most of the four shows because when you look at the TV tapings on Monday and Tuesday of, of that week in late August, there was just less seats for sale. So if you look at the maps quickly, you might draw the conclusion that Empower has sold um, the least, but it's it's not the case. The TV tapings have a more modest setup, so they haven't had as, as many tickets on sale. And finally, something that uh, got a lot of traction on Twitter um, was I, I took some screenshots of Lakeland and um, uh Ring of Honor had only moved uh, about 152 seats, something like that. Very, uh, like 11, 12 seats in the balcony about and 140 on the ground. So it's kind of sobering sort of like where they are as a promotion now. Yeah, man, it seems like WB obviously is doing pretty well. AEW's killing it. Uh, and WA is doing okay, you know, for what it is. It's a smaller venue, obviously. A certain amount of, only a certain amount of tickets are available. They're doing okay, but Ring of Honor really, really struggling. Crazy. Yeah. My thoughts are like sort of like when you have momentum going and you have a buzz, like you could keep that going like six to nine months past, like sort of when you're starting to struggle. But once things stop and you sort of like get in the hole, even though there's been a long break, obviously, like it's very hard to like build that momentum back up. So even though people are uh, reporting that they're enjoying the program and sort of like it has a new life and in a different way, it's not reflected in the ticket sales. Now, as far as we and you were kind of saying NWA compared to ROH, and you were kind of breaking that down. Also, with the NWA, the percentage, right, of the building is, is definitely in their favor too, right? I mean, for the amount of tickets that they want to sell, they're definitely beating ROH up pretty good, which is kind of surprising to a lot because the NWA, you know, not that they had a lot of momentum, but they, you know, they didn't run a ton of shows during the pandemic either. Yeah, so you know they're coming back, and we were kind of, or at least I was, kind of dim on on the program they were putting out on on YouTube and sort of their momentum there. But I think this is the right building for them, especially for this um, weekend. And you know, it's a special thing. I know that I think Billy had said that they were thinking about doing this regularly, like coming to this building to tape. But for the 73rd anniversary show, they're at 839 tickets as of the 31st of July, which was 98%. So that'll be a sellout. Um, Empower, 628 tickets, 73%. So that's a good chance of selling out. And then the power, you know, Monday and Tuesday after a long weekend, like obviously they have lower expectations. That's 60 to 70% sold out of what they've put on, on sale. And, you know, it, it seems like, for a promotion of its size and what they're trying to do, it seems like a big win and probably for an NWA anniversary show and sort of my memory of this goes back on and off, like to the mid nineties, sort of like when, when Howard Brody and uh, Dennis Caraluzzo sort of appeared on WWF TV and, you know, there would be like anniversary shows subsequently maybe run by Bill Barron's or whoever ha was had power. Um, you know, nearly a thousand people. That's probably the most that has been to an anniversary show in, in forever. And it's a thousand more tickets have been sold in NWA than ROH. I mean, it's a, not a small number there. I mean, it's pretty good. Yeah. I think like ring of honor has to start thinking about promoting the talent, like sort of like in the, I don't know how many posters you put in, you know, on the walls anymore, but like, you know, online or whatever it might be like, 
Jonathan Gresham is, is somebody with like buzz and so on. So like whomever he's facing, like, um, you know, put that first and then people will think, oh, I want to see those two guys because like under like a Ring of Honor umbrella, I think it kind of dims it because it's like the stars of Ring of Honor coming to town 2003, 2011, 2018, that meant a lot. But today, I think it could be hurting it. So, Fallen's B is promoting five X WWE wrestlers. Where is Fallen's B and who are these wrestlers? Yes. So, definitely no insult to the town. My geography was lagging, so I had to Google it. Um, that's in West Virginia. Um, and it's just interesting to see that sort of. A smaller promoter in the area, National Championship Wrestling at the Blue Wave Center, um, ran a night of superstars, brought in Matt Cardona. So, of course, hey. a, a recent GCW fame, besides his fame that he already has, Brian Myers, Eric Redbeard, and The Awakening. So, you know, uh, who are the uh, Ascension. So, you know, it just goes to show, like, you know, as we're emerging from the pandemic, promoters you know they're trying new things it's not cheap to bring in so much talent like that it's actually mentioned in the article in the weirton daily times that people told the promoter not to do something like this that you can't bring talent in like this um they're about 30 minutes outside of pittsburgh actually my wife grew up uh, a little bit out of pittsburgh in west virginia so i'll have to ask her about this town um but i'm not sure how it went but it just goes to show sort of you know uh the talent are getting booked in, in unique ways and things are in that way re returning to normal, at least for the moment. Wrestling is back, baby. So triple a had a forum show on off on like what, what's going on here with triple a, are they running the forum or not? Yeah. So, you know, uh, a lot of things, um, a lot of things here. So if we go back a couple of years, right. Um, I think the forum is under the same management as Madison Square Garden. So they, they had booked Madison Square Garden and they moved it to theater at the garden, at which point I returned my ticket because I only wanted to see them at Madison Square Garden, which I've come to understand was a big mistake because I heard it was an amazing show. So kicking myself on that. But then there was also like this other coast show where I'm not sure if it was planned at the forum at first. It might have been, but then ticket sales, um, but then really the pandemic, of course. So suddenly, you know, one of my Google alerts, um, I get like all these links that are to the forum for AAA September 30th, but either it was an error or it was planned and then removed, or maybe somebody pushed the button too early. Um, you know, we know that there's issues, which we talk about every week, um, about uh, a lawsuit about AAA being able to promote on their own in uh, in the U.S. So there's that. Um, but I was curious to see that it just appeared, nobody talked about it, and then it disappeared that the links were dead right away. But about 10 ticket-related sites or promotion-related sites picked it up that I got that day. So what's going on with Pizzagate 2? Good or bad for <laughs> AEW? And what is Pizzagate 2? I know Pizzagate 1, the Pizzagate 2. Yes. So, uh, right. So we might need um, one of your, <laughs> your recent guests. Um, sorry, I forgot his name. The referee for WWE. Oh, Drake Wirtz. Yeah, Drake Wirtz. He might... <laughs> explain Pizzagate 1, but but Pizzagate 2 certainly is the AEW. Uh, oh, I got you. A little conspiracy theory stuff. Okay. Yeah, I, I was okay. being cute there. Yes, uh, yes. <laughs> with Nick Gage, um, you know, as, as many of us have seen, right, Nick Gage had a pizza cutter on AEW, which was crazy, uh, and he's, you know, slicing up Chris Jericho, and then suddenly they go to Domino's Pizza ad, and um, they're cutting a pizza with a pizza cutter. I... You know, I took uh, a screen capture of that while I was watching on DVR. Everyone else did too. And, um, you know, there was talk about uh, Domino's um, not being happy considering their their ad placement and, um, uh, you know, how this might affect things in the advertising world. Variety actually picked up this story and they even mentioned uh Hoovy will be on the show next week uh, by the time you're hearing this probably that will have occurred or would be occurring soon um so my question was like 
look, you know, you have variety. They're, they're even talking about next week's match, so it doesn't end here necessarily in terms of the promotion, but will it do more harm than good or help them? So I'm very curious about the next, like, quarter hour rating, like where some people turned off by that. Like, that's not my thing, like, as, as we've talking with, spoken with Brett Lauderdale about, like, the um, hardcore wrestling. So I kind of fast-forwarded through that, but, like, I'm curious about the, the rating that comes out this week um, as you're listening to see uh, what what what's going to happen. The quarter hour rating for Jericho Gage was good, though. Oh, close to 1.2 million was the highest rating for the show. Yeah, I guess so people like, were interested in it. Yeah, like you definitely had people want to tune in. Like he's somebody with buzz, and we know from the the dark side of the ring and um, all of that. So I'm curious, like sort of like you know, I think most people wouldn't be turned off, like. I'm trying to think back, like things are so different, but like, let's say you went to, I think it was in Charlotte, right? Like, let's say you took your 10 year olds to a show in Charlotte, you figure it's wrestling. And then like, you know, they see somebody with a pizza cutter. I don't know. Like, would you come back? It, it's a question. Let's stick with AEW. What about Eurosport India? What's the latest? Yeah. So, um, so one of the things certainly for AEW where they need to grow is their international markets. They've had some growth with TNT where they've had, uh, um, you know, exposure in like TNT Africa, which we've talked about. And we know that they're on in space, which is a uh, all cap space, which is in Latin America, which AAA also airs on. So now they're on in Eurosport India. Um, so this is the, I think they were formerly named D Sport and New Japan, uh, New Japan, I believe still airs on there. Ring of Honor had aired on there. I'm not sure if they still do. Impact had specials on there. Impact has a bigger deal in India from what I understand. So you know, it's good for them getting out there and getting exposure. As soon as I posted it, I believe somebody from India or who's at least familiar with the market, he was sort of very dim on it that it's a channel no one watches. And, you know, you would think you're a sport, but like it, it might not be as, as big as it sounds. But if they weren't on there before, it certainly helps them grow as opposed to just being on fight. What's up with MLW and YouTube? Are they leaving soon? But now they're premiering this alpha show. So what's the latest with MLW and YouTube? Yeah, like sometimes uh, for our friend Court Bauer, sometimes you need a scorecard <laughs> to tell which way the wind is blowing. And I feel like sometimes it's both. So Court, people ask about the, the archives. Will they remain on YouTube or what's happening with them? He Sometimes he'll say something like, uh, you know, stay tuned. You know, we're, we're going to be somewhere else soon. But then they premiered this alpha show, which is sort of like supposed to be a bridge to when they use the footage that they record in July with, with you and the audience, the 2300 arena. And they're like, it'll be on YouTube and, and other streaming places. So like, you know, maybe it was just for lack of better outlets that the best way to get exposure is just put on YouTube and then like keep people engaged till they're on, um, or what we expect to return to vice. Um, with the day and time to be determined. Um, but like, it feels like it goes both ways. We're, we're back on YouTube, we're off YouTube and, and so on. You gotta get your boy under control here. <laughs> your boy, your boy so what's going on with Quatar Pro, AKA Qatar? Is Braun Strowman going to Qatar? Yeah, it's, it's confusing how to pronounce it. Like I always pronounce it the same way, like Qatar, but then you hear like on the news sometimes they say Qatar, which which confusing me. But yeah. like I, I started seeing like rumors coming out about him appearing on um, on QPW, probably the simplest way to say it. It seems to have turned into a great payday for some of the the biggest stars like John Moxley and so many um, talents that could sort of that aren't under direct WWE contracts that can get out there and get a big payday. Um, so I went to the Twitter of the chairperson or chairman of QPW, Ali Al-Marafi, and um, scrolling down, it didn't take very long, on July 26th, it was a picture with him and Braun Strowman, and it said, why not? Um, so I don't know if that's the basis of the rumors, and he's just hinting at something or if there's something more there. It would make a lot of sense, like – you have somebody like Braun Strowman. He, you know, cuts across all different markets. You know, one of the biggest stars really uh, in the last 
five, 10 years. Um, and if he's going to come back to WWE or go somewhere else, like he should, while he's a free agent, he should certainly get a big payday at a uh, promotion like this. Oh boy. Yeah. He'll get a huge payday out of there. What's going on and what's the latest with SWE Fury down there in Texas? Yeah. So there was um, a really well-written article um, recently for the CT post by Nathan Geese of the Plainview Herald. And, um, you know, he was talking about the show. Like one of the first things that, uh, that stood out was that there was a number of, uh, of talents advertised who, uh, who didn't appear um, at the show. Um, So that's, you know, that's something of concern. Okay. So the absences were Lance Archer, Enzo, Diana Perazzo, uh, pardon me if I'm mispronouncing that. Um, but, uh, you know, that's something to uh, to really think about because those are some of the biggest names um, on the show. Um, interestingly, it said that the taping started later because they had moved a, uh, a number of, they were still moving tickets. Um, and um, it was good to see Lacey Von Erich. She seems to have found her her place finally in, in the pro wrestling business. Um, she's on air or I don't know on air, but she's considered their president. I don't know if that's sort of just a forward facing role or if she has um, duties behind the scenes. Um, but um, she seems to have really matured and really uh, be enjoying her role. So it's, it's great to see uh, another Von Eric sort of like contributing in the way that they want to the pro wrestling business. Apparently she really did buy in, to the company apparently she really is one of the presidents of the company um i don't know if that's good bad or indifferent but apparently that's legit cool i hadn't i hadn't heard that before so we're breaking some news yes. here which is interesting so if she's bought in i do hope that it's you know under good financial footing i mean they have a lot of names there and, and they're doing some interesting things like of promotions emerging like they certainly have um have done a lot right What's going on with MKW? Yeah, so our uh, our friends at Middle Kingdom Wrestling in, in China, and this was actually shared by WrestleMap, so a lot of like uh, a lot of our uh, our networks sort of crossing over here. So, you know, everyone's talked about the difficulty of uh, breaking into the Chinese market. Um, they had. Uh, their live streaming aspect of their show was a huge success. It was the most watched pro wrestling event in China since 2019. The event averaged nearly half a million viewers on the Chinese streaming platform Huya, H-U-Y-A.com. Um, it wasn't, uh, per the article, it wasn't kept up up there. I'm not sure how they deal with things in terms of archives on a site like that, but it's great to see a promotion that uh, Adrian and, and his team at MKW have sort of built from scratch and they're making huge inroads in one of the markets that seems everyone wants to be there, but everyone had a hard time, you know, getting anywhere. As far as Lucha Frontera, what's going on with them? They're with military families, I believe. Yes. Yeah, so they, um, this promotion taped uh, a show at a military base. It was only for military members and, and their families and, you know, affiliated and so on. Um, and they said, it, I, I messaged them on Facebook and they said, you know, this was recorded for the military's use. So I'm really curious about um, how this will be uh, utilized in the future. And interestingly, from, from what I gather, it's a Lucha promotion. So, um, you know, how that would be utilized by the U.S. military? Um, is it sort of something that's marketed towards um, uh, the Latino market? Um, it just seems like a curious story to follow that no one is really talking about. It. I just happened upon an article that was written about the show. What's up with NXT's developmental third brand? What's going on here? You're saying it has been solved. What is it? 
Yeah, so, you know, of course, we don't talk as much WWE here, but I had my sleuthing hat on, <laughs> and um, whenever the uh, 10K report, which comes out after quarterly earnings, uh, Brandon of WrestleNomics helps by posting the link for that when it's out, I always search NXT just to see, because there's usually something interesting in there. So people have often said, is NXT developmental? Is it a third brand? When you're doing something like a 10K, you're supposed to be truthful, um, so that's sort of like what we have to take as their sort of like what they really believe as a company. So there was a little note um, within the report. And when they were looking at numbers, and there weren't as many, of course, live event numbers to look at this quarter, but it said metrics exclude the events for our domestic and United Kingdom NXT brands. These are our developmental brands that typically conduct their events in smaller venues with lower ticket prices. We did not conduct any ticketed NXT events in the periods presented. These are our developmental brands. So there you have it. Is NXT a third brand? Is it developmental? Well, according to their 10K, it's a developmental brand. When they're renegotiating with USA for NXT rights fees, if it works out next time, they'll probably consider it the third brand. So sometimes it's sort of like whatever works best at the moment. Makes sense. Makes sense to me. Now, what about New Japan? What's going on? What's the latest with uh, some New Japan news? Yeah, so just to conclude um, sort of the news for today, I was just thinking and just being a little bit nostalgic and wondering what you thought about it. Like for New Japan and, and Ring of Honor in a way, um, for the you know, four or five three to five years before NXT really came on the scene, they were the two promotions in the U.S. that were really building momentum, building a buzz, and and often working together. And there had been an article um, in 2018 about Mark Cuban and, you know, uh, of course, Access TV having New Japan and, you know, New Japan event in Dallas and so on. You know, it made me really think about, like, what if Mark Cuban got – more involved in New Japan. I don't know if there was any possibility of this, but like, what if he had bought the rights to New Japan USA and like sort of was the figurehead of things and really invested in it? Like, could it have become what AEW is now? I think it's just something to contemplate in terms of missed opportunities. I think with Ring of Honor, they would always be restricted by like a big corporate overhead and some of the political machinations of a Sinclair broadcasting. But Mark Cuban sort of like can do whatever he wants, you know, as, as a billionaire. And I think he's a very dynamic person, um, the type of person that could be a great promoter. Um, you know, I'm. it just makes me think, what if? Oh, interesting. Look at you. We're getting all uh, introspective, I guess. Yeah. What if, you know, he's got a lot of money. There's no doubt about that. I don't know if he has more than the cons, but he's definitely got a ton of money. Now, one final thing that I wanted to bring up was you will be going out on the town heels, right? Aren't, are you going to the premiere? Yes. So, um, so where it gets a little bit confusing is that there's a premiere on television on August 15th, but um, local to me uh, in Manhattan, the 92nd Street Y um, had a Stars Heels premiere screening. So uh, last week on, I think, July 29th, I saw the first episode and then there was like uh, – Stephen Amell and, and his co-stars and producers spoke on the stage afterwards. So um, firstly, um, <laughs> it was pouring rain, so I was soaked uh, the whole night, but it was definitely worth going. Um, I highly recommend the first episode. Uh, no spoilers, but it's done very carefully. It feels like very you know, of course, sensationalized, but like there's a lot of elements that are very true to life. And I like, I don't get stars, but I'll have to figure out a way to see more. And one of the things that was revealed actually by Stephen Amell, and then um, he talked about it on a podcast later, but I don't think it had been revealed at the time. He actually broke his back um, early on in the tapings and they had to Whoa. sort of like work around that, film everything else, and then like come back to him later. But, um, you know, this this holds up really well, like even across other media, like the wrestler movie or Blood Reds turns dollar green novels and, and so on. Like this is definitely one of the, the best written pieces. Um, and I recommend it. 
Nice. Good stuff there, Alavi. Let's head on over to the plugs. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Two Man Power Trip. Check out the website tnptempire.com for more. Of course, Patreon, patreon.com slash tnptempire. Alavi, what do you got? Yeah, so um, check out my website, lioncubjobsearch.com. I have my full stars, heels review there. Um, I have a number of pieces looking at ticket sales and um, even revealing sort of like more about impacts ownership. Um, also follow me on Twitter, LaVimarg, L-A-V-I-E-M-A-R-G. I'm proud to say I was retweeted by Chris Jericho uh, this week. So a couple of viral posts recently. Um, and that's the best way to get this news as early as possible. And then we talk about it here on the show. Nice. Great stuff. As always, Lavi. thank you everybody for tuning in. We'll see you right back here next week for the business of the business. See you next week, folks. This has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the two-man power trip of wrestling. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Two Man Power Trip. You can check us out on Facebook. You can subscribe on YouTube. You can go to patreon.com slash TMPT Empire to become a patron. And also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two Man Power Trip, where the power lies brother.